0: Okay, so we're going to learn uh, Wednesday night's vad on uh, Rabbi Rucham, Das Tera, um, Parashas Truma, we're going to call it Truma Tetzava, because the piece that I want to uh, speak about uh, is really Nagea Parash Tetzava, but Rabbi Rucham puts Truma and Tetzava together. So Rabbi Rucham writes, On the Pasuk of Ha'osu Es so, if you look in Rashi on this pasuk, it's a very interesting Rashi. Rashi in Parak Chav Ches Pasuk Vav says, when describing the ephod, if ephod is like the apron uh, part of the big kuna. so it says, If I would come. To explain the mysa of the eifid and the chesh, I'll say the Meaning, Rashi is worried that if he would go and just teach pasuk by pasuk, uh, each of the halakim of the eifid hare perushon, the yishke and it would be hard for the reader to put all of this together and to make some understanding of it therefore I decided to write the myceam the first I'm going to give like an introduction of what it looks like and then you're going to be able to understand it as I go into pasuk by pasuk, so that after you have a a little bit of an overview about what the ephod and the cheshen is supposed to look like, then when I touch up the words in the psukim, it will be able to be read quickly and understandably. And then he goes, it's just uh, once we're seeing this rashi, I just want to share with you uh, an amazing point that this, this Rashi is, says like this Rashi says the way that this uh, uh, apron looks like is the way that women who ride horses wear a certain type of outfit and they tie it looks like an apron and they tie it on the back Libai, lamata by their heart is like where they would tie it, um underneath their elbows. Rachvai goes until their knees. And he says, That's what I think the ephod looks like. So it's a strange ration. And it just tell us what the ephod white have to tell me. It looks like women so women who are riding horses, so the um, I saw from a chassidish rebbe once that the pshat is that Rashi I don't know where he gets this from maybe Baruch HaKadosh, but Rashi was looking out the window of his uh, Base Madrish one day and all of a sudden his eyes his holy eyes saw a group of women riding on horses and he was upset like why why would Hashem like show me a group of women I'm you know am of Rashi so. And then he that HaKrish Baruch Hu was showing him what the aphid must look like. And so he, uh, that's, I don't know exactly what his, uh, where he got that from, but that's how, uh, that's how he touches this, um, this, uh, th- this Rashi. In any event, so Rabbi Rucham says that Rashi was Teireach over here, L'manyorot he's explaining um, Rashi comes to explain what he's doing. I want to first give you an overview, and then I'm going to give you the, the pshat, the, the pshuta shamikra of each of the pshukim, so that it's easier for the for the reader to chak. So Rabbi Ruchem writes as follows, Nisairarti b'chesed ha-gadol asher osalana rashi ha She says, it, it dawned on me, when I saw this Rashi, something struck me that the great chesed that Rashi Hakadosh did for us. You ever you know we, we don't really I don't think appreciate. Maybe we do appreciate it, but we don't understand how how you know how Rashi uh, toiled so much to create his masterpiece on everything he wrote right on Tanakh, he wrote on, on Shas, he wrote on uh, uh, Medrash. There's so much that we have from Rashi. Why did he do this? Who did he do it for? Did it for us? Does anyone? He didn't ask us for money. He didn't ask. Us, he just did it le l'shem shemaim. He did it for the sake of the Torah. He did it so that people should be able to um to uh to understand the uh thank you. The people should be able to. I told you. I said they would come. Just, I just woke up. What? I just woke up. Oh. Sorry. So. He, he didn't, why did Rashi do this? Why did, for whom did Rashi do this? Rashi wrote all of this because he wanted to share the Torah with Kal Without Rashi, there would be no Torah. Without Rashi, there, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't really understand what the Torah is talking about. Rashi opens up. You can't learn Chumash without Rashi. You can't learn Gemara without Rashi. It's not Shai. You can have Taisis. You can have the Ritva. You can have the Rashi. But it, without Rashi, it would be a different Gemara. It will be a different Chumash. You could have Ramban, you could have Rashbam, you have a million other commentators. But everybody understands that Rashi is the foundational pshat in everything. One man wrote on Kolata Erkula, a, a, a Pirush that will never be topped. Nobody could ever top it. It's not Shaif. And all the Pirushim are built on Rashi. Rashi was the father of all the commentators. And Rabbi Ruchim is like Nisaira from this Rashi that we learned together about the aphide. That Rashi is telling us the process of why he did this. I did this in such a way. I gave you, I'm giving you an introduction about the eifid and the chayshin. Leman Yarot that the reader should have it easier to understand. Do so we pay Rashi for this? Rashi is giving us like mentoring on, uh, you know, how to understand the chesh and for For no money, for no covet, endless generations will be learning this without having the ability to thank Rashi personally for what he did. And we owe Rashi a debt of tremendous acharistate. Without Rashi, we'd have nothing. So it's just an appreciation for you know, once in a while to, to say, wait a minute, who, like, who was this Rashi? Like, what did Rashi, when do I have a chance to thank him? It's like you have a personal tutor walking you through through Shas, and through Chumash, and through Nath. And, you know, if you're not going to thank him, at least, you know, have some appreciation for the the monumental work that he did. He says, we said before, mesheret said before, these are the mishpatim that I will place before them. Ube Rashi, Shaman Rashi there says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm going to, uh, I want you, my Shorabinu, to give the Torah over in a way that's kishulchan ha'aruch, like a set table that people could digest, they could eat, they could enjoy. He says, lay mevinim ki kishulchan who, who says I have to do this? Why does my Abenu, uh get this charge from Hashem that he has to explain it and give it over as like a set table? Give the Torah to Klai Yisrael. So let them schwitz over it. Why do I have to worry about teaching them again and again and three times and four times and making it so easy for them like a Shulchan Aruch, like I'm serving them a meal? Let them do it on, on their own. <laughs> Let the Talmud himself be omel and be by himself to understand it until he gets it. Why do I have to worry about it? But we see from here the opposite. And what we see from this is, from this Rashi, that this is the template, not just for Meishu Rabbeinu. This is a template for every Rebbe, for every Rav, every Rosh Hashiva, every, every person has to give, every father has to give over to their Talmidim or to their children. They have to give over in a way that is extremely palatable. You have to give it all set and prepared. That's not just for Meishu Rabbeinu rav ki barura aruha lechal This is where Rashi gets it from. The model that Rashi is himself for how he worries about the kairi, Like, let's say Rashi had not given us an introduction about these women wearing wearing these aprons, and he would just like started jumping into as a fight as a this and a, you know and the chayish is that would it, would we have missed something? but we, rashi gave us a little window into his into his whole weltanschauung of hinokh how he you know what he wanted from his to from his commentary and that is he didn't want to just like you know give it to you he wanted to serve it up in a delectable manner he wanted to make it clear that it's fluent and it's easy and it's it's geschmack that's what rashi did and he did a he did a, a job like for the ages there's no one that gives it over. No one knows how Rashi even wrote what he wrote. He wrote what takes all the other Rishayim like this much room to write. Rashi's able to write it in three words sometimes. And it's the same, it's came out the same thing. It's just Rashi had this amazing ability to, to get to the core of what the sugya is about and to explain it in a way that's clear. It's not cryptic. It's clear enough to read. And yet he he puts so much into it, and that's what you know many of the achreinim deal with. Uh, you know, trying to explain the shortest of Rashi's and making a whole shirim out of like a you know three word Rashi because there's so much in every word of Rashi. But Rashi got his charge, says Rabbi Rucham, from that Rashi from the Chazal that Rashi brought about Be'elam Meshpatim that you have to make Taira palatable. You have to prepare a Rebbe's job is to not just come in and, and give over Torah, but actually give over Torah in a way that it's clear, it's, uh, it's kishmak, it's enjoyable. The Talmidim uh, want more and they, uh, they enjoy it. It's not just a bore Talmidim. The, por- the point of the way that a Rebbe is supposed to give over Torah is, is in a way that makes it you know, really exciting for the Talmud. And that it's clear the Rebbe prepared. There's nothing worse than coming into a Shear and the Rebbe did not spend any time preparing, and it's clear that it's just, you know, he's just making it up as he goes along. Rashi put so much into it. Everything that he did was thought through. Who knows how many times? I mean, nobody knows what Rashi went through in his base marriage to, to come up with this beautiful commentary that he wrote on, on, on Tyro. But I, I, I read a story about one of my Rosh Hashivas, like Fegelstock, who was Nifter. About a year ago, his yard said coming up, and he was a in Long Beach yeshiva. And uh, did you did you know him at all? Did you ever dive in his minion? Yeah, yeah, so um, so he so uh, one of his talmidim, who is like one of the Rashivas there today, um, said when he was younger he went to visit uh, Rabbi Finkelstadt, who he was in a bungalow colony or something in the country. So he went upstate to visit, and it was like in the middle of, um, I guess it was in the middle of uh, of Av Chodesh Av, and he was uh, he came to visit the Rosh and he was like sitting talking with him, and he noticed that he had his uh, he was he was looking at his notes for the Rosh Hashanah shmuz that he'd be giving this year. This is like two months ahead of time, you know. Like who thinks of Rosh Hashanah before Tisha B'Av? Like you know, you just. Whenever Rosh Hashanah comes, okay, I have Rosh Hashanah, I'll look at my notes, I'll give a shmooz. Like, it's not a, you know, he probably gave the same shmooze literally, I think he gave the same shmooz every year. Which really makes the story, if it's, one, if it's new tire he's making up, it's one thing. But every year he gives the same thing. Brilliant man, he didn't need to really spend that much time. He could probably have copped it in three seconds before he gave the shmooz. But, you know, he was doing it a month and a half, two months before Rosh Hashanah. So his Talmud says, Rabbi, you know, Zereshiva, like, you know, why Zereshiva? He says, you know, El is coming and we have to, you know, you have to prepare. You don't, he didn't give a shmuz, like, you know, because he had to give a shmuz. He, he, he wanted to make sure that he was embodying the shmuz, that he was living the shmuz, and that it, it was clear and that the way he'd give it over was, was, was acceptable and pleasing to the Talmudim. That's the way Rabbi's supposed to do it. The Rabbi's supposed to make sure... You know, it's the job of a Talmud to to come in to the shear, um, to come to the shear. I should start with that, and then also to once he's in the shear, to be awake, to be responsive, to be uh, you know, to to have been you know, gotten a good night's sleep beforehand, so that he's able to chop the shear, maybe write down the shear, go over the shear. There's there's of a the Talmud also to a Rabbi, but but as far as from the the dinim, and this isn't just um, like. You know, this isn't just a Tera ter Masei Rishma about how to be a good rabbi. These, these are halachas and in, in Shulchan Aruch. There's halachas about Hilchah's about Talmud how a rabbi is supposed to be. A rabbi has to get a certain amount of sleep every night. A rabbi has to be prepared. A rabbi, these are halachas. Rashi was following these halachas when he was giving over his Torah to Klal Yisrael, and he did it in a way that made it like super, super Gishmak. I just want to... Um, you know, go through a few this that we know about Rashi and because um, Rabbi Yuchim, you know, first of all Rabbi Yuchim's whole commentary is really this whole Das Ter is coming from Shirim that he gave on Chumash and Rashi we've spoken about that many times in the past so it's not shocking that he would give a, a Shevach to Rashi in the Shur because the whole, the whole Shir was about Rashi but I want to just tell you a few uh, this since we're we're giving such uh, public recognition tonight to Rashi that's long overdue. Just a few Yoseides that we uh, we know about Rashi and, and about Rashi's pirish, specifically about his pirish on Chumash. So this chus that Rashi had to write this commentary that he should be the father of all commentators is uh, attributed to a legend, gezunt, that Rashi had very. Very righteous, pious parents. and they had been childless for many years. And the story goes that they, uh, the father Rashi's father's name was Yitzchak, he had a precious jewel, and many people wanted to buy this precious jewel to adorn their Abvezar with. Very valuable, and there was like a bidding where everybody wanted it. and he, you know, they want, And so he agreed to travel by ship with them to their leader. One of the Abadizar's leader, but as he was on the way on the ship, he threw the stone into the water, into the sea. And afterwards he was told that in Shamayim, they were so impressed by that that they that he would be rewarded, him and his wife would be rewarded with a child that would be the jewel of Klayisrael. They were, he would illuminate the world with his terror knowledge. Rashi and his peer, on wanted to try to make a pshat which was pshuta Shall mikra. Rashi wanted to uh, to keep it very simple to the plain understanding of the text. They didn't want to. You didn't. You really did not want to make a fancy, elaborate pshat. You know, uh, beer like. Uh, like the Ramban, let's say, the Ramban is not Pshutoshmari. Ramban is, a, you know, he's giving us Hashkafa, he's giving us, us drushas, and he's giving uh, Kabbalah. Like Rashi, Rashi wanted to keep it very simple. But by his own uh, admission, um, he, uh, he conceded that his commentary is not the only approach to a simple understanding of the text. And if you look at his grandson's commentary on the Rashbam, at the beginning of, I think it's Parashas Vayeshev, he says that Rashi, my mother's father, the great Maragel, the light of the exile, devoted himself to explaining the plain meaning of the text. But I, Shmuel, son of his son-in-law of Meir, of blessed memory, disagreed with him about certain explanations in his presence in his presence. And he acknowledged to me that had he had the time, he would write additional commentaries based on the simple understandings that come to light each day. That means that he tried his best to write a Pshut HaShemikra commentary. He conceded that he didn't always stick to that. Rashi a lot of times brings a lot of Midrashim, he brings and he brings not always Pshut HaShemikra, but and he, if he had the time, he would rewrite, not rewrite it, but he would write another commentary that would give uh, more of a pshuta shemikra. The Rashbam famously tried to write his commentary in a very simple pshuta Shalmikra way, um, and he was successful. I mean, he has a very beautiful commentary, but he, he basically no medrashim, no very few medrashim. He stuck to what the simple pshat in the Torah is. The Avin Ezra. Uh, also saw you know called it the way he saw it. He wasn't bound to chazal. If if let's say uh, let's say there's a gemara in Saita that says a, a shot about Moshe Rabbeinu and the whole house filled with light, he would take Houston. I don't know. Uh, you know that might be true on a on a, on a level. It was true, obviously, it's from gemara, but he wasn't looking to make a commentary. Like he wanted to look at the tire without the purview or without chazal's. You know, light. He wanted to just see it as a as a very simple interpretation. There's that's not a that's not k'fira. That's fine. You're allowed to look at at. There's a p'shat in taira, and then there's a drasha, and then there's there's different levels. But on a very simple level, which is what a lot of the commentators try to do, is just to give me a p'shuta shal look at the taira, and and even achreinim, you find certain like the nitziv and others. They they try to look at the taira from like a unique perspective from the way they, they understood the Pesukim with their own Havana. Very interesting. Um, the Shlach writes that each and every word of Rashi has hidden with it wondrous secrets. I Meaning, there are many secrets. Rashi is not, it's very deceptive. It seems like, you know, every kid has learned, every, every little, uh, you know, five, six-year-old boy in, in, in Cheder learns Rashi. It seems very simple. If a six-year-old boy can understand it, how deep could it be? But the Shlach Hodesh says, and he was obviously a very uh, great expert in Kabbalah, he said, each and every word of Rashi, not, not just, not once in a while, every word has hidden with it wondrous secrets for his commentary was authored with Raha Kaidesh, Rashi's commentary to the Torah seems to the reader to be simple. Yet look at Mizrahi and all the other super commentaries and discover wonders. Rashi on the Talmud is the same as they are written by the same author. And, and you think Gemara is just lundus There's Kabbalah, there's Sisrei Torah in every single word that Rashi writes. It says from the Chida, the Chida brings in Hashem G'daylem, that he has a tradition that in preparation for writing his Torah Commentary, Rashi fasted for 613 days. Imagine, before he started sitting down to write his commentary, he fasted 613 days. And then Yalke Mamloyes writes that after Rashi completed his commentary, he traveled the world for seven years after he finished his commentary. To see if any scholar had written a commentary to Torah better than his own, only once he saw that none existed did he return home and publish his. Amazing, right? He wanted if he said Rebislo Exilberstein, son-in-law says that you see from here that it has to be absolutely true when you write on Torah. It has to be absolutely true. Rashi, who exerted all of his superhuman toil, if he would have found, and we know that he had Ruchak Kedush when he wrote it. But if there would have been one manuscript that was better than his, he would have, he would have put away his and, and gladly given the other one the limelight. It's amazing. That means that regardless of how much you, you have to make sure, no matter how much work you put into it, that it's absolutely emis. That when we, when we put any peerage to Tyra, it has to be absolutely emis. This is always something that I heard as a child. That's um, an amazing thing that they, they say. Can I, this A lot of this is legend but I don't know if it's true or not, but they say that uh, that the Arizal, the great Mekubal, once decided to write a mystical commentary on Chumash. And after he completed this, he wrote a whole commentary on Chumash, and after he completed it, he was told in a dream that it was very good, but it's way too long, you have to shorten it. You have to cut it down a little to size. You heard this? I love the story. What? I love the story. Yeah. So... It's too long, so it needs to be abridged. After making it more concise, meaning he boiled it down a little bit, and he made it more concise, he again had the same dream, and he condensed the commentary just to its Rashi Tevis, the initial letters of each word. At that point, he had a dream to compare his manuscript with that of Rashi, and he found that his commentary was identical to the commentary of Rashi. Meaning, like, after he cut down all his pirish, and he, he made it, the whole thing Rashi Tevis, it was Rashi's pirish and Khamish. That means that, I mean, it says a lot about the Arizal also, but it's, you know, it shows how every word, you learn a Rashi, and you say, all right, you know, whatever, I don't understand, right. every word of Rashi is really, it's really, um, it's a condensed work of magnificent Kabbalah. We don't know. We're, we think that it's, it's just a simple chat, You know, Ramban, that's, the, that's where all the real tire is. Huh? Rashi, you just have to get through to get to the Ramban. But you see that Rashi, if you really... And that's why at every age, the, the marvel of Rashi is that a six-year-old child can learn Rashi and then a, a, a 60-year-old Talmud and a 96-year-old Talmud can learn Rashi. They're all learning the same exact Rashi but yet they're obviously learning it at a very, very different level, but no one is saying, uh, you know, it's beneath me, I, I graduated from Rashi. Nobody ever graduates from Rashi. Because as much as you know, and as old as you get, and the more you've exposed yourself to Tyra, the more you find more gems in Rashi, and more, more, more hidden Taira that, that exists there. And every time you go through Rashi again and again, every year it should, you know, it, as you mature, your understanding of Rashi matures. And what you thought used to be simple, now you have kashis on it, maybe next year you'll have terutzim on it, and so it goes. And the sarshalom of bells, will end with this, would say that someone who studies each week parsha with the commentary of Rashi, will in shamayim be admitted to the yeshiva of Rashi. If you want a, a good incentive to be maver sedra every week with Rashi, if you want to be in Shemaim in the base medrash of Rashi in the in the Mechitzas of Rashi in the yeshiva of Rashi, so it's a great idea to start uh, to start asap. Really, you know, every week besides being maver sedra, to be maver sedra with Rashi, which is by the way also uh, one of the greatest uh, haskamas to the importance of Rashi you find uh, in Shulchan Aruch because. Uh, in Shulchan Arachayim it says that you can substitute Targum Unculus with Rashi and the Chavetz Chaim goes even further and says that the proper study of Chumash is to learn the weekly parasha with Rashi's commentary as the Rasha commanded his son so meaning Rashi became like almost woven into the base not as a as, a, as, a, as an extra credit commentary he is part of the mitzvah being Sedra. The problem with Rashi is that he's not on every pasuk, so you don't really get a. You know that's the problem with with using him to be mavercedra. But but would he be on every single pasuk? Then that would be the that would be really an optimal way of being Sedra because he became like the quintessential targum, the quintessential mefarish of of Chumash. So it's just a night that we have to you know after. You know, we could go through our whole life and learn Rashi, but never stop for a moment and, like, appreciate what this tremendous godel did for Klai Yisrael. I mean, you know, for our parents, for our grandparents, our great-grandparents, how many dairis you know, all the way back to, to Rashi did people, were people able to, like, just completely uh, understand the Gemara without, without Rashi? We would not be able to understand. We wouldn't know what, what it's talking about if not for Rashi. And, and that is something that, you know, we can never thank Rashi enough for, but we have to at least be makir the greatness of Rashi, understand, you know, that, the, the depth, the profundity, the brilliance of every single word of Rashi, the Kedusha that, 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 that he had. And, uh we should be zeichet to be in Rashi's yeshiva, in Rashi's mechitzas, Baza uh, u'beba.